Welcome to an A&M Healthcare Industry Group podcast series, focusing on human capital and workforce management issues. In part two of our series on the impact of the current nursing shortage on U.S. healthcare organizations, our experts discuss where to go from here, retention strategies, and the next generation of nurses. The pandemic, as helping us re-examine our lives, has placed a higher emphasis on mission and values. I hear that from our teams a lot. So in addition to what you say, total rewards, I think nurses are more thinking globally about total rewards than they did before. Not just compensation, but the value that your organization is bringing to their package, whether that's tuition reimbursement, loan repayment, and all those sorts of things. Nurses want to see that congruence between mission, vision, and values. Are we who we say we are and are we doing what we said that we're going to do? So this whole concept of belonging, appreciation, and caring is something different than I've seen before. Hello and welcome back. This is Bianca Briola from Alvarez and Marcel, and I'm joined again by three wonderful guests, Vicki Orto, Angeline Peters-Lewis, and Nicole Kirkenbush. We have three nursing executives here sharing their insights on the nursing shortage that we're experiencing nationwide. And if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to the first session, please take a moment and listen to all of their fantastic insights specific to their regional challenges and their specific organizations. Now join us in our second conversation. Through the challenge of the shortage and the crisis and the emotional the emotional piece to the staff and the caregivers. Is your organization's levering technology in any different way um, during the time that you've been forced to pivot? There certainly are nurses out there that I think want to stay in this profession but can't stay at the bedside. And so how do we provide them opportunities? I think virtual nursing is a great one. Um, I would say too that we are actually really, I think we are very blessed to have an amazing CIO and CMIO who's a physician and she and I are incredible partners, which is amazing for us. But we are going down the path of really exploring automation of various processes. I think that the reality is if we're going to have temporary staff in our spaces in the volume that we have them, the way then that we mitigate quality and safety concerns is by standardizing by having protocols, order sets, the same care happening the same way, no matter who the physician is, no matter what shift it is, no matter what floor you're on, we've got to build that in. And I think automation can really help that. We are partnering with two companies right now to really look at uh, how to bring in ambient monitoring, both audio and visual. So we will actually be putting in cameras and microphones almost in every nook and cranny of our spaces so that we can monitor patients' ideas around how to prevent falls, how to prevent pressure ulcers, how to ensure that we're not sending caregivers to the wrong location, wasting their time so that we will um, you know, have tracking available for patients and products so that when somebody arrives in the OR, the team is notified and they go then instead of waiting in the OR for 20 minutes. Lots of different ideas around that. And again, lots of different opinions on that, but I firmly believe in coming from sort of a, a very strong IT background, I think that we really have to look at automation and it's not going to be enough anymore just to think about maybe the technology we've had. We've got to get really creative. Um, one of the other companies that we're working with, I said two, the other, the other one does um, ambient vital sign monitoring. So 
really trying to take away the need for our nurse aides to be doing vital signs at all. Um, there are there is technology out there. Ours will be a proof of concept. It's not quite prime time ready yet, but a proof of concept to see if we can ambiently collect vital signs and automatically put those in the chart. Just you know, really trying to figure out what are those things that we can free our folks up from and allow them to do other tasks. So those were a couple things for us that we're doing in the technology realm. Thank you, Nicole. Angeline, how is Barnes-Jewish adapting and utilizing technology during this time of pivot? In many of the same ways that Nicole outlined, the only thing I would add is decision support. In this time of increased patient demand, it's also the acuity and complexity of patient care. There's no way our caregivers can remember all the things that they can, you know, they need to remember to care for patients. So the decision support and embedding that quickly in our systems has been really important, as well as automating our order sets as another way for them to accelerate care. And then, as um, Nicole also said, you know, replacing human beings and non-value-added work with technology wherever possible. Thank you. Vicki, how is that working in your areas, or is this similar similar strategy? Well, it's very similar um, to what we just heard. It's, I, the one thing I would add is today, we have in our clinics, we have some manual um, charging going on. And we worked on um, some areas automating it. Some areas had not automated it. Um, so now, of course, we need everybody, all hands on deck, to be taking care of patients. Nobody needs to be doing charges if, if it can be automated. So we got permission, permission. We got agreement from everyone um, that we're going to turn the switch and automate um, the charging system in some of our outpatient clinics. So this has taken quite a little while because really we were pretty married to some of this manual work that was going on, especially when it has to do with money. So it's not just the nursing aspect of it. We need to look at all people that you know support our teams and automate their work too. Thank you all. As we transition, I'd like to talk a little bit and focus on the pipeline of nursing. And um, Diane, as you're as we're out and about all over the country, I, I'd love to hear from your perspective on the retention strategies um, and what we're hearing from the nursing staff about why they're leaving and what will it take for them to stay and how much of that voice of the nurse are we really capturing to help help strategize the retention component. Diane, do you want to speak to what you're seeing across the country? And then perhaps, um, Angeline, you can follow after that. I think the retention component has dramatically changed. You know, we used to do these career ladders and we used to do, you know, all these different things. So you can become a preceptor and we're going to give you 50 cents an hour and make you feel good. Um, what I'm seeing is that we get a lot of new grads in our system. And then if we don't offer them what they want, they leave. If we don't look at, especially nurses that want to go into nurse management and how do we mentor them with that skill set, it's really, really hard when you have a huge workforce. And that's why we have to train our mid managers and our nurse execs to kind of have that kind of plan for each one. What I'm starting to see on nursing evaluations is that career map. Um, and we know sometimes we can't always match, you know, what they want and what we need. But a lot of times we can. Many nurses now, they come into nursing and they want to do something bigger and better. And if they don't feel part of that in your organization, they, they will start to seek other work. So I just wondered if you ladies, you know, maybe starting with Angeline, who is 
because I've worked with her, who's one of the most professional executives of nursing that made nurses feel like they could do anything. <laughs> um, I just were wondering what you guys are working on regarding your retention strategies and how those changed since we have COVID and such a limited workforce. So, Angeline, I'd love to hear what you have to say. We're right. Nurses can change the world, right? So we can't <laughs> want to lose that. I think everything you said, Diane, I think that, and would love to know what my colleagues think, the pandemic as helping us reexamine our lives has placed a higher emphasis on mission and values. I hear that from our teams a lot. So in addition to what you say, total rewards, I think nurses are more thinking globally about total rewards than they did before, not just compensation, but the value that your organization is bringing to their package, whether that's tuition reimbursement, loan repayment, and all those sorts of things. I think understanding how the organization, if there is a conflict between the organization's values and what we say, I think that that's an, another reason. Nurses want to see that congruence between mission, vision, and values. Are we, are we who we say we are and are we doing what we said that we're going to do? The other piece is, um, the, like you said, growth and development opportunities. And then knowing that the organization cares about them. So this whole concept of belonging, appreciation, and caring is something different than I've seen before. And then the new generation, you know, we've had this new generation entering our workforce, and they want to know that we're contemporary and that we're involving, evolving with the times in terms of technology and all the things that we need to support them in their practice. So lots of good change. You know, the pandemic has brought some a lot of uh, challenges for us, but lots of opportunities for innovation and making it better for our teams as well. Nicole, would you have like to add from your perspective on your pipeline of nurses, what your nurses, what you're hearing from them, and how maybe you're Yes, I, I would echo everything that you both have said. I would add maybe that I think that the idea on how to grow them into whatever vision they have for their future is really important. It also costs money. And one of the challenges I'm worried about, we're right now in our budgeting process for next fiscal year, we run a, June, a July to June. I'm going to be fighting our finance folks, because they're going to say your labor costs are too high, you have to cut. And the only thing to cut becomes dollars that I have budgeted for recognition and for continuing education. And so I, I've already sort of started to, to talk with our CFO about, and, and depending on when he hears this podcast, he might be like, oh, really? Um, but I've already this morning talked to him and said, you know, those are things we've got to keep, we've got to protect, because if we don't have that available, I am hearing it from our nurses. I haven't been to a continuing education conference in four or five years. Um, prior to my being in this role, there was no money in our nursing budgets for continuing education. Um, and I've, I've really fought to get it there. And I see when we send somebody to a conference and they come back and they're energized, because that's what keeps people in your organization is when they feel ownership. And you can't do that when you don't support their dreams, their vision. And so I absolutely agree on that point. Our, our nurses coming out of school today actually probably need a year-long orientation instead of a six-month orientation. They're not getting the hands-on experience because of COVID that they would have gotten three years ago. Um, I think, Angeline, you mentioned the acuity is higher. Our, our case mix index is, high, is highest. Every month we hit a new record. We've never... I mean, we haven't come back down at all on our case mix index and in our, our clinics, the patients are sicker as well. So 
nurses are having to deal with more complexity, more rules, more um, all, all the COVID rules added on, which change every three minutes. Um, and so I really think they're also asking us to support them in their transition to practice. And they want time with preceptors. They want time to get comfortable, time to figure out how to do time management. And, and they're not getting as much of that in school as I think I did. And, and there aren't those simple patients anymore. There are no simple patients to say, hey, you're the new grad. I'm gonna give you this light patient over here today. No, it's the complex patients that we're expecting them to take care of immediately. So we're looking at things like ex we, have a, we have a very robust and successful nurse extern program um, during the summer. We're looking at expanding that so that people who start with us in, as an extern in the summer then can continue with us as an extern throughout the rest of their six months or 12 months of school. Um, that will help to sort of extend that orientation period. We're relooking our orientations and rebuilding them. And so I would just add that I think they all want to feel supported. They want to feel like, I hear often they'll say to me, I want to know someone's got my back. And right. if they haven't been able to integrate into a team that they feel and can grow that, that support with, I think that really causes them to maybe look elsewhere too. That's the reality. So what, what do we do so we can operate in that reality and still make us uh, we call it a great place to work. We want to be the employer of choice here in the Black Hills. So how do we do that? And Nicole, I totally agree with you. I think we need to look at each individual nurse and when they're ready to move on. And we all grew up with you had to be a new grad for a year before, you know, and you had to work yeah. in medicine. Yeah. But then I'm looking at a nurse that was a surge tech for 14 mm -hmm. years who went and got their RN and being told they have to wait a year to be to work in periop. Right, and right. so these tailored, and a lot of times we get nurses that have come from other fields that have really strong leadership and organizational dynamic skills. And to say, well, you know, you got to wait in the line for five years before you could, it's that what I hear nurses saying is, here's my experience. I want you to have my back. Absolutely. And help me get to my, and it needs to be tailored to that nurse's competency instead of an artificial number. And I also agree with you. The, the new grads are just getting, you know, it's baptism by fire right now during COVID. If you're somewhat ambulatory, you're, you're, not, you're not in the inpatient setting. And so what I really meant to say is that if we work with our nursing staff on what hearing them and providing that backup and leadership skills for their career goals and tailoring it to their competency and education and skill set, we'll have better luck. Agree. Yeah, thank you, Diane. Vicki, let's hear from you and your nursing staff. So actually I heard today from um, some of my directors about what um, our nurses are asking for now. And because we, we always kind of keep our pulse on um, what's going on with them. The most important thing that you do, um, that we do all the time is listen to them. I do these things called Chief Nursing Officer Forums every quarter where we tell them all about what's going on in their department and give an opportunity to say what's going well, what's not going well. And I'm doing 19 of them this time, both in person and Zoom. That is the most important thing I hear from them. Thank you for being here. Sometimes they just want somebody to witness what they're doing. Um, so we are all about that. So today, backtracking a little bit, um, they talked about, um, loan forgiveness for people that are already um, 
working, not just new people. You know, we have a, a loan forgiveness program, but what about the people that went and got their master's degree that are working at the bedside? Um, what, so, and I, they make a really good point that we don't offer the same programs for the internal people as we do for um, the new people. Um, so I'm gonna take that in. And so I'm trying to listen to all the things that they're telling us and see if, see if we can meet them halfway or, you know, cause sometimes they have really good ideas. But like I said, um, uh, the most important thing we do is to spend time with them. And so I'm, I started to attend their, uh, what we call bed flow, which is where um, all the units get together and they share nurses and look about, do we have float nurses? How many sitter cases do we have? So I've started attending that. And that's been very insightful uh, for me um, to see what they're dealing with every day. So that whole witnessing what they're doing. Um, so that's how I keep my pulse on it. But yes, we're kind of always trying to keep one foot in front of the other and staying ahead of it. But um, sometimes, some days it can be a losing battle. Thank you so much for your candid responses. And I feel like I have a million questions still for, for the three of you, for the four of you. And I really appreciate all of the things that you and your staff are doing to support me, my family, my colleagues, my colleagues' families, our country. So I, I wanna really extend great gratitude and thanks to you as nurses and to your staff for all that you've done over the past few years and, and all that you will be doing for us in the future. Nancy, anything else that you'd like to add, an observation? Nancy, before you go, I think one pivotal question I'd like to leave with our leaders and those who are listening is, the pivotal question for us as leaders of this time is how will we maintain and continue to grow the profession of nursing at the same time we're managing through an unprecedented shortage because we don't want to step back in time Correct. we want to keep moving forward but that will be a challenge absolutely Angeline and I think that's a really good pickup point for the next discussion uh, mm -hmm. because that's really the body of work and thinking about how do we continue to progress without impeding the progress of nursing practice if you like this podcast and are interested in more insights, please feel free to visit alvarezandmarcel.com. Alvarez and Marcel. Leadership. Action. Results.